Well, we have replaced your regularly scheduled host with myself. Yes, the one and only most listened to guest on this very podcast. My name is J.K. Hobson, and this is 7 Million Bikes. And for a little change of pace, we're going to have your normal host. Well, normal. Normal is normal strong. Your regularly scheduled host. Neil Mackay, be interviewed by yours truly. So, please welcome your usual host, the founder of 7 Million Bikes, host and comedian, Neil Mackay. Thank you very much. Cheers, yo. All right. Three years. Yeah. It was three years ago today. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Do you remember how we filmed, how we recorded it? I see. I remember it was at your place in District Three, kind of near Funyan, which means nothing to a lot of listeners. But these these are neighborhoods in in Vietnam, and I remember it had like a rooftop bar. And remember, Adri, your your lovely wife, she left with the dog to get some water or or get something or take the dog for a walk, and then we were in a little tiny room. I think we had foam all around us, right? Like a, So like it was a in our bedroom and I, yeah. up, I literally put up the duvet and sheets and cushions and pillows like around us to try and make it sound good. It was like we were little kids and we made a <laughs> we made a fort. It was it was like an adult fort. <laughs> and we, we recorded your first podcast in a fort. And then and then Adri was knocking on the door for maybe an hour. <laughs> We should, maybe it was more than that because that one was long as hell. What was the? We it went so long. We took a break. That's what happened. And then when I when I went out the room, Ed, I looked at my phone and Ed and Biscuit was sitting on the steps outside the door. I can't remember for how long, but any longer than five minutes is too long. They were just sitting there like she was sitting there like a homeless lady with her homeless dog. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, were you trying to get in?" <laughs> That was exactly it. And that was three years ago. Yeah. And, and here you are. I can't believe it's still going. Yeah. And I, I'd never really met you much before then. We'd met a couple of times and, and we'd connected and had a laugh. But yeah. then I was like, right, you're getting, on, getting you on the podcast. So I remember I waited for you because I wanted, I didn't know you, but I just knew I wanted to share your story. Because you'd mentioned a little bit or I'd held it on stage. I was like, I want to interview this guy. But Adri reminded me recently, the actual first ever interview was Kim Nguyen. Huh. And that was just a test. That was when her and Lewis came over to my part, same apartment and Lewis was just helping me set up my new microphone and setting up the garage band because he's like an audio engineer and I knew nothing. So I just said to Kim, look, well, do you want to do a, a practice? You know, we'll just test the sound, see how it is. And that was the first time I'd ever interviewed anyone. And it was, she was just really interesting. I asked her some interesting questions. I really enjoyed it. And then me and Lewis, you know, we moved into the bedroom. And where, where me and you were, but you, you weren't my first man in the bedroom. And I was far from your last. <laughs> and then, yeah, I interviewed Lewis in the bedroom. Again, we were just testing the sound and he was so interesting. And the one thing I've loved about the podcast since then is we never have this connection, right? Like, when do you ever sit down? Even Lewis and Kim are still my best friends, but I never sit down and have an in-depth conversation with them and probe and ask questions and get to know more about them. And same with me and you, you know? Yeah, you're, we're too busy making podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> too busy doing other stuff to sit. So, dude, if you want to, you want to have a conversation with Neil, you better do his damn podcast. Yeah, exactly. 
Or just, well, the other thing is you're sort of drinking beer all the time, right? And it's not a coherent conversation. We did that the other night, though. That was fun. Yeah. After the show. So too brief, though, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil had a show the other night and had Jeremy Wagner, who's a local mainstay in the Saigon comedy scene, who had been gone for a while uh, in Cambodia, and then Vumin, Vumin Tu, who is, again, one of the, like, the just... What would you say? OG. Like one of the OG Saigon comedians, actually from Hanoi. And so Neil had this show last Wednesday with those two. And, and Matt Chan. And Matt Chan, that's right. I, I should have played He's Matt so Chan. funny. Yeah. But oh, did you miss him? Yeah, I was at that, yeah. that other thing. So yeah, yeah, Matt is great. And so then I, I showed up like towards the end and then Neil and Adrian and I stayed at the bar drinking and talking as one does, yeah. you know? Yeah, I had to work early the next morning. But anyway. <laughs> But yeah, that was fun. So yeah, so I was not the first guest. Well, you were the first guest, but not the first ever person I interviewed. First, oh, first okay. guest, like the first episode was yourself. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But it was three years ago. And how many episodes have you have you done? Well, I went to season eight. There's, I think, about 80 full episodes, wow. give or take. I haven't actually counted because there's been some ones where they've been split in two. One season, I think it was season three, I did five episodes and then I just got too busy and I couldn't finish it. And then season four I did in quarantine when I was locked up in quarantine. So I think that was about five episodes and then some have gone to 12 and things like that. But so, about 80. So it's not like, I mean, when you start, when a TV show starts a season, like they know, okay, Game of Thrones is going to be six episodes this season. So how is it that you determine... At the end, like, when is, is it just like, like, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> that is part of it. That is definitely part of it. I, I generally aim for 10. That third season, I think it was the third season. I did five and I, because I just ran out of time. I just didn't have the time. As you know, it just takes so much time. So I took a break and then, so I generally aim for 10 though. Sometimes there's 12. This season will stretch out to about 12. Wow. But yeah, it was funny because when I interviewed Hayden, who, who you obviously know, and I mentioned I was on like season seven. Why, obviously, because we're both black. Oh, wow, come dude. on, we're playing that cut already. Playing that cut, obviously, because I know you know him. Because that's why it's obvious. It's one of the um, only cards I have. And I mentioned it was on season eight. And he's like, you've been doing this for eight years? And I was like, oh, no, it's like, and he's like, oh, it's like The Voice. And I was like, yeah, it's like The Voice. It's like. The TV show, The Voice? Yeah, because The Voice is up to like season 2500 or something like that. But they've only been, I think it's only been going about five years or something. Oh, like that. They do like three a year or something. Oh, they're cheating. Yeah, yeah, similar to me. Okay, they're cheating. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you, yeah, you've done more seasons than Game of Thrones in like half the time. So, that, yeah, you got that. I think, <laughs> so yeah, I think they had seven seasons in, in like a bunch of years, right? Anyway, that can be good Congratulations. Thank you very much. On Thank keeping you. it going. Let's talk about some some highlights and highlights besides me. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm right here. I appreciate it already. I appreciate the thought in advance. But I mean, I know obviously you you enjoy everybody that that you you interview, you know, and you get some pretty interesting insight. I would imagine into some people that you probably wouldn't come across. You know, you talk about this a lot on the podcast that being an expat you come across a lot of people that you probably wouldn't have known. Like if you think about the people that you grew up with in Scotland, for, per se, you know, or even people that if you lived in New York City your whole life, you, knew, you meet a lot of different kinds of people, right? So, but on top of that, 
doing a podcast, you have access to people that you might not, because you know, if you know, oh yeah, hey, you want to have a conversation with me? <laughs> Pervert. <laughs> you want to do my podcast? Oh, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's such a good point. That's such a really good point. Yeah. So the so the question is like, yes, yeah, some 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 standout. I I have my feeling of who you might say, but and you know, obviously, leave me out of it. But who 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 would you say were some? And just as like people where you're just like, wow. That was amazing that I got a window into that person's mm. mind for a little while. So one of them is is Lewis Wright, who's now become a really good friend. But I just remember his episode way in the beginning, and he talked about going to some alternative art performance with it because we, we were talking about microphones, which is what he's always helped me with. And they had these super powerful microphones, and they had them against these plants, and so you could hear the plants growing live on stage. <laughs> so weird, right? And like you, just, th this whole concept made me laugh. So that always stood out. But but the other, the two that spring to mind, and I like the way you framed the question because I was worried about being asked, what was your favorite? Because I don't have a favorite, but you didn't ask that. And so in terms of what you asked. Also, I'm right here. That the, just it's too, it's too meta. You know what the I mean? two that stand out, the one I really, really enjoyed, one was Sarah Nguyen from the, the Nguyen Coffee Supply and based in Brooklyn. And, and she was just an amazing, amazing, <laughs> what? I don't know why that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, the Nguyen coffee supply based in Brooklyn. That's such a Brooklyn thing. You know what I mean? It's like right next to the like artisanal mayonnaise shop, the Nguyen coffee in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, we have talked about artisanal mayonnaise, but yeah, well, so she she roasts Vietnamese coffee beans because she was frustrated at coffee being sold as Vietnamese coffee in New York, but it was basically just Arabica coffee with condensed milk, which is not unique to Vietnam. And she wanted to give power to the Vietnamese farmers, but she was also just, she was an amazing charismatic person to talk to. She'd just done the Drew Barrymore show. So I was kind of like, I think it was maybe the only episode where I was fanboying a little bit. Like I was really like excited to talk to her. I'd already watched her on the Drew Barrymore show to prepare for the episode. She was just so interesting, so charismatic, so fun to talk to, you know, kept in touch with her. And then even through keeping in touch with her, I've just seen the, the wind coffee supply grow. Like they've just gotten a new investment or the first round of investment. She's one of these entrepreneurs that maxed out her credit cards, took out loans, did everything to like, you know, start this coffee company and then now she's been featured in magazines she's on the front page she's just an amazing ambassador for vietnam you know so that was another that was one that stood out and then the other one was on the same season just about the same time was tracy nguyen mang who was or is the host of the vietnamese boat people podcast which i'd just been getting into amazing podcast and it kind of like the whole direction of that season ended up being about boat people quite regularly not by no, it wasn't like a conscious decision, but it, it's just, again, like you learn so much about people and the more Vietnamese people you speak to, speak to especially overseas Vietnamese, you realize like most Vietnamese overseas are children of boat people or even one guest was on a boat when she was five years old and left Vietnam. So to talk to Tracy and I, re I can't remember how I connected with her. I think I connected through Sarah, something like that. I had to like get a connection because I'd already listened to her on the podcast. I thought her show was great. She was sharing the stories of Vietnamese boat people. And so that one stood out. And that was another kind of, that was another two-parter. About every season, there's one episode, and yours was, was the first example, 
where it stretches so long and we talk for so long, I, I split it into two because I just think putting out a three-hour podcast, even though Joe Rogan does it, is too much. So I'd rather split it down. So yours was split in two. Angie the Diva was split in two. Nikki Tran was split in two. Tracy Nguyen Mang, Riz Harkis this season. Just about every season there's been one episode where I've just had such a good time with the guest and we've spoken for so long. That have to make it two parts. Yeah, this very special two part, but yeah. you never know when when it starts. You just let the conversation kind of happen. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever you ever have something just really emotionally jarring happen on a on a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're gonna make me get emotional again. The one, the most one, and again, it was in the same season. Was Suzanne Tihi and Hook, and I think you listened to that one. Mm -hmm. She was a, um, adopted by a. English family and then abused, doesn't know who her mother is, doesn't know who her father is. Her father, is a, as she assumes, is a black GI. Her mother is Vietnamese, so she's black Vietnamese. So just really emotional story. And then the, the bit that choked me up the most, and it still chokes, is when she said she never grew up, she never knew what it felt like to be loved. And I thought, and I'm getting choked up about it because I had, like everyone, had a tough upbringing as well. We were poor. We didn't, we you know, but we were fine. It wasn't the worst, but it was, could have always been better, right? But I never, ever felt unloved. Mm. I never once, I don't know what that felt like. So if I had to say that, I was like, I feel so lucky. I feel yeah. so blessed mm. that I, like, whatever I lacked in my childhood, I never lacked that. Mm. Dalai Lama said, I mean, and this is a weird thing. I think I talked about this before, but like the, one of the leading causes of unhappiness and suffering is people comparing themselves to others, mm. you know, cause, cause usually when you compare yourself to someone else, it's somebody who you perceive as having it like way better off than you do. You know, you're just like, ah, like why, you know? Mm. And conversely, you know, when you have empathy and compassion and you see what people go through, you know, and you, you, people who probably you perceive as not having it as well up as you do. It, it, that's you know it's a, it leads you to having appreciation mm. for what you have and so yeah I can see how that that would happen there that's that's pretty brutal man and it was around the same time so I recorded that during lockdown uh, on Zoom obviously she's based in the UK <laughs> and it was really tough that was at a particular particularly tough time during lockdown as you lived it as well and I remember I don't it wasn't the same day but it was around about that day there was one day I just spent the whole day crying because I'd read on the news about people in, in Saigon suffering. I read it in the English news, the British news on the Guardian about people in Saigon suffering, not getting food, poor people, not, not um, people who could look after themselves, but people on the margins of society were struggling even more. There was a story of one woman had to make the decision whether to feed her child or send them to school, whether to educate them, you know? So I was already like in a really emotional place. And then I did this interview and I was like, was that so that's that was the most and then the other one was aj miller did you ever listen to that one i i, I know aj well i listened to some of it but i don't think i finished it yeah so that was the most unexpected one because i ex with suzanne tihi and oh, hook yeah, I remember it. Mm, yeah. okay. with suzanne tihi and hook i knew what i was getting into i already knew a story so i was slightly prepared even though it was still emotionally charged but with AJ, you know AJ, and she's amazing. She's so funny. She's so energetic. She's so crazy. I love her to bits. And I was so excited. And at that time, I'd been interviewing quite a few comedians just because I have access to comedians. Um, so I was just getting ready for, you know, a fun interview. 
And I did not know her backstory, which is always, that's always, always the best thing about her, the most rewarding thing I think I mentioned to you. I don't really research my guests. I know that's why I fanboyed about Sarah because I did some research for once. But I, I just like the story to play out and me to learn as I'm talking. So I didn't know AG's backstory at all. And then if you have listened or you haven't, go back and listen. Her dad died of agent orange-induced leukemia when she had to take care of him. And then she came back to Vietnam to kind of retrace her dad's steps. I might be missing that, AJ, if you if you are listening. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm telling that incorrectly. But she came back to Vietnam to kind of like, you know, learn more about her dad's time here. And, and she just, yeah, it was so emotional, you know, and, and she broke down and she was crying. And I, I remember at that, that point I didn't cry because I remember I wanted to. But I do remember I've got no training in journalism at all. One of the, be- the best things about this podcast was when it first started, someone was telling me how much they enjoyed it. And they were like, oh, so you've got a background in journalism then, right? And I was like, no, no, not at all. When my degree's in sports science. And they were like, wow, you, it sounds like you're doing. I was like, well, that's cool. But at this point, I think maybe I had that in my head. My head. I was like, remember, you, you're like a journalist right now. You're interviewing someone, so you can't get involved in this. So she's crying, but you can't cry. You need to be... The interviewer, and in my head, I'm thinking about famous interviews throughout the world. The interviewer is always kind of passive, right? They don't get involved with what the person's saying. So all of this was going through my head. And so I had to just sit there and really compose myself and be like, you know, don't cry, don't get involved. Let her play out her emotions and then ask another question and move on. So that's why with Suzanne Teehee and Hook, that was the only time where I, I did <laughs> and I remember I said to her, I was like, I'm going to cut this bit out because I don't normally cry. And she was like, no, no, you should keep this bit in. Uh, and I did. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. That's, real, that's, I mean, that's, those are the, the touches that, you know, that make it human, it's, you know, it's people connecting, not just, because that, that is the thing about, about journalism, you know, about sociology. It's the almost, it almost necessitates taking sort of the humanity out of it mm-hmm. and sort of looking at everything sort of dispassionately, you know, and that's, I mean, I think that's fine for, for journalism, but I think you're doing something else and, and, and that's cool. I was going to make a joke about how I didn't know you didn't go to school for jungleism, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but nobody, but you would be the only person, you'd be one of the only people that would understand the reference. Do you want to do you also look, actually that's a good segue to talk about comedy a little bit. What what am I talking about? Why did I why did I make, mention jungleist? You know? Well, I think many of the listeners might know, and I know Adri will know because yeah. she listens to every episode and she gets referenced in every episode. So and I do so just yeah, talking about comedy. One of the things I love about comedy is we take real stories and then we turn them into jokes. So let me explain the backstory to that if I haven't. The joke is I my first ever day teaching, I had to teach jobs and I had to teach all these students. One of the jobs was journalism, which in a Scottish accent, I understand comes out weird. American accent, journalism. So I tell this kind of joke and, and the best thing is when I, I feel like my American accent. It's just every time, every time you do an American accent, I, I, the same thought comes to my head is, this guy knows how to speak English and chooses not to for the entire day. And then once in a while pops out with normal speaking. And I realize how messed up it is to think that, but I, I can't, you know, like, all right, if, if I can interject, something happened the other day. You ever like, all right, so we're talking about comedy. You ever wish you could turn it off? 
I was talking to somebody the other day, somebody who comes around to open mic. She's probably not gonna listen to this. She invited me out to lunch and one got into some really deep, heavy stuff. You know what I mean? And she was telling me the story about how when her grandfather died, that it just destroyed the family. Like he was one of those pillars of the family, you know, that's like held it together. And when he died, everybody lost it. In fact, at his funeral, her aunt died. And the first thing I thought was, what a drama queen, way to make it about you. And unfortunately, I said it out loud. <laughs> Fortunately, we both cracked up laughing. But, but yeah, that's something I wanted to ask. Do you, find, do you find that the way you think has changed because you, you do stand up? Do you find that you think differently now? I've never thought about it before, but probably, I, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. I can think I, in my head, I'm not going to repeat it, but there's a, a joke that I've got in my head <coughs> that is so wildly inappropriate that I would never probably say it out loud, but it comes from adversity, you know? So it's like one of these things, but even, so I was on Zach, Zach, I'm gonna, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Abgal, you know? I know you're talking about, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Mm. I've never heard his name said out loud, to be honest, I've only ever read it, so I don't know how you say it. And I was explaining to him about a joke and I can't remember what the joke was off the top of my head. And he was like, wow, that's, because it was something bad had happened. And he was like, oh, so wow, so you took, something bad that happened and your first instinct, oh, it was about that, you know, when I tell that, I told only a couple of times when someone sent me like a rant on Facebook, like a message, because I posted a, a compilation episode, what was the best thing that happened to you during lockdown, when I'd also posted what was the worst thing that happened to you during lockdown. So it was a bit of a context, but anyway, I spent all morning crafting a really nice message back to him. And when I sent it, he just responded immediately, not reading that. So I told her on stage because I thought it was funny. And I thought it was amazing because when I told him this story, he's like, I think that's amazing that you just brushed that off. And your immediate reaction was, I'm going to tell that on stage because I think it's funny. If that was me, I would be angry and pissed off and all of this stuff. And that, that it was at that moment that I realized, yeah, I think differently. And as you've heard recently, I had my phone robbed. My and it was my first instinct was, I'm going to tell this on stage. And I how do I turn this into a funny story? And I think that probably helps because that was quite traumatic and I was really cut up by it and it wasn't a nice thing to happen. But yeah, I never really thought about it, but then to have that outlet to be like, okay, I'm going to make this funny and I'm going to go and tell people and make them laugh. I guess that makes me feel better. I never thought about you're, that. You're such a, a nicer person than I am. Because like, I think I, I kind of think of it as like turning poison into medicine sometimes, but it's also like, this is where I get to unleash my resentment. You know what I mean? It's like, this is just what I'm pissed off about. And you know, if I, and maybe I don't want the blowback of like having arguments with these people. So people do stuff to me. I'm like, ah, I'm going to talk about you on stage. You know what I mean? Which is, which is much different from, you know, you know, I'm going to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this and make it something positive. That's a really nice way to look at it. So, yeah. So how, so talking more about comedy, what made you, because, all right, so this is, can we, did, did we talk, yeah, we talked about, we talked about how we met. It's like, because my, my, my first, my first encounter with Neil, my memory of, memory of it is very like, hey, mister, hey, mister, wait a minute. Did that really happen to you? Like that kind of thing. Like going down the stairs at Pew Pew, you know what I mean? 
So, so what, what was the, and at that point you weren't doing comedy, right? So what was the point where you were like, okay, you know what? Like, this is something like, was it that you saw somebody, maybe you saw somebody bomb and you're like, oh, I can do that. That's definitely part of it. Yeah. And that's funny. You say that I was trying to think of the answer, but now you've just said that. Yeah. Now that was absolutely part of it. Cause I'd always, I'd be always been a big comedy fan from growing up, you know, in Scotland, we have Billy Connolly. He's God. He's, he's just been awarded a BAFTA. Like I saw him speak. It was really quite upsetting because he's got Parkinson's disease. And so he's now, he's pretty much not performing and, you know, he's in decline and he knows it. It's really sad to see someone like that. But so anyway, we've always had Billy Connolly. We've always had comedy. Scotland, Glasgow is known for its sense of humor. So it's always been around me. Then I went to New York, went to stand up comedy in New York and just absolutely loved it. Like just the funniest thing ever. Do you remember anybody you saw? No, no. I was, I was like on Times Square. Oh, but I did see Dane Cook. I saw Dane Cook, which was really cool. Because, you know, people flyer in the streets in Manhattan and someone was flyering and they were like, hey, Dane Cook's performing tonight. He's going to be on SNL tomorrow night. He's going to be on SNL tomorrow night and he's going to practice his monologue. So come along. So I was like, sweet. So I bought the ticket, got in line for whatever show, 7.30, 8 o'clock Friday night. And then people coming out were all pissed off and angry because we're like, he never showed up. He didn't perform. Like they got a show, but Dane Cook wasn't there. So obviously everyone had been sold on that. But he was just, he's at NBC Studios, right? He's at like 30 Rock and he's practicing and he didn't make it in time. Thankfully for us, he did make it. And so he was doing his monologue and he was like, he had his notes and stuff. And you could tell like he wasn't looking at the audience. He was looking at an imaginary camera like he would be on the show. And so the next night, Saturday night, watched uh, Saturday Night Live. Sure enough, Dane Cook was there. And it was pretty much almost the same. couple of changes because he was, looking for the audience reaction and taking notes and stuff as he was performing. So yeah, I mean, you can, I've, I've looked it up on YouTube. You can find it, the Dane Cook monologue. So I, I know I've seen it since, but that was really cool. But apart from that, just just like, you know, local comics and stuff. But so fell in love. I don't know if the microphones will pick that up, but we were in rainy season. We got thunder outside. I think it'll be all right. Yeah. Well, all right. So sidebar, today was a brutally rudely hot day in Saigon was it what, what, what you, you went to, you taught public school today right? yeah, yeah yeah you went so you were you went first thing in the morning it wasn't that hot at 7 30 in the morning no and my second class is a fancy class they have air conditioning oh nice yeah yeah they I have I have air conditioning but I'll tell you what happened it's just quick sidebar you can take sidebar my, my friend Muhammad invite I usually eat in the school where I work I eat this like the school food he invited me out to eat like at like 11 30 in the afternoon so we're sitting out eating like at noon and it was so brutally, we were, and it was, it was an outdoor place. We we're like sitting in plastic chairs, no fans and just, and I'm just sweating, but, and it was so bad. Like I was getting mad at, like, I was like, I found myself in inter- like getting hostile towards him yeah. <laughs> for inviting me. And I was having all these crazy thoughts, like, cause he's Egyptian. And it's like, man, this guy's like, he's used to this. Cause he's from the desert. It was like, I, I got like a kind of Islamophobic for a minute in my brain. Cause it was, it was hot. So that's how, this is hot enough to make you racist heat. I was about to say, I know what you mean, but I don't know what you mean about that. I'm not hot enough to make you racist. Okay, man. But I don't know what you mean. When sometimes it gets so hot, I'm the same. I get angry. I'm just like, get yeah. me out of here. It's yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah. yeah. So, so, okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. But the thunder, the thunder just clapped. Yeah. It just interrupted us. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. but yeah, so going back, yeah. So got into it in New York, then I moved to Australia, 
loved going to stand up, met Adri, it was something we did together. I can't remember the exact point where I was like, I want to do this, but, you know, it kind of crept up on me. And I think part of it was not watching people bomb, but I remember just going to shows and being like, I can do this. I can do it better. You know, like you see people and you're like, I, I definitely could do this better. And I'd already been thinking about it for a while. I, I've never told you this one. And then me and Adri were in the front row at open mic and we were always in the front row. I would always sit in the front row because Adri just knew I loved it. And I loved interacting with the comedians. I would never heckle them. But if they wanted to interact with me, I was always like, I'm here for this, you know, like, yes. And then this one guy, you know, got talking to me. Now he's from Scotland. Yeah, I like, well, I said, oh, I'm from Scotland. And he's all, what brought you here? And I went, a plane. And it took him off guard and he, he, he laughed really hard. And then he's like, you should be doing this. And then he didn't nudge me and she's like, see, he told you you should be doing this. And so it just from there. And then, you know, I've, I've told the story a few times. People probably have heard it before. I was going to open mics in New Zealand. I had notes in my pocket. I recently found a bunch of my notes. The jokes were awful. I found them on the computer. I hadn't, hadn't seen them in years. And I was like, whoa, these are so bad. But then. Neil, come on, man. It's the episode. What tell, was the joke? Tell us about one of the jokes. I can't even remember. The only one I can remember was, so I was a lot skinnier back then. I was like 63 kgs. I'd been a vegetarian for 10 years and I'd just lost like all my muscle mass. I'd even went till it got a, you know, an electrical thing put through you, which gives you like what your muscle mass is. And I was like, my muscle mass was 25% below what it should have been. Wow. And then when I was like, yeah, I've been a vegetarian for 10 years. She's like, oh yeah, that's it. She's like, it sneaks up on you. You like your body, you feel, cause I started to feel unwell. That's right. And she was like, yeah, it's your body telling you, you need to <laughs> eat me, eat me. And it wasn't like, I wasn't eating protein. I was eating eggs and like vegan protein shakes and tofu and all that. But yeah, I mean, for my body, I guess being a vegetarian is not good. Interesting. Cause like, I, I think of you like as like a total omnivore. You know what I mean? Oh, like, really? Yeah. I, yeah, dude. I, I don't know why. I, I just, yeah. Imagine you like at Guan Urud or, you know, or something. No, I still place. don't eat ribs or steak or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I eat mostly just chicken oh, and pork because wow. I like Kumtam, But Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah even, you know with, even with snot on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what 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 prompt just like sidebar, what, what prompted your vegetarianism? Oh, what prompted my vegetarianism was mostly protecting the environment and health as well. But at that time I was also a conspiracy theorist, so I was believing everything I read on the internet and it's like milk's bad for you, milk drains your bones of calcium, meat's bad for you. But the biggest thing was was the environmental impact, which is not a conspiracy, which is still true. Sure. And I'm just a hypocrite now. I accept that. I just have to accept I am a hypocrite. I would rather, if I could do what I could do to help the environment, I could do. And in my 20s, I was really of the, like, oh, you do, you know, we can all make a difference. You know, everyone's individually can make a difference. Yeah. Whereas now I'm a bit older and I'm like, it needs governmental and corporations and everyone. Like, in my lifetime, me just giving up meat is not going to be enough. And, even, right. and if enough, and if everyone thinks the same thing as well, it's still not going to be enough because it needs bigger changes yeah. to happen. Yeah, and I, I've read something somewhere where it's like they they kind of feed people this narrative that oh, it's your it's your it's your yeah, it's individual choice, and it's as a way of taking responsibility from you know like corporations and which is a very reductive term. And I know I sound like I'm probably in my mid twenties. The corporations are the ones who are doing it, man. You know. By the way, I think I think. Becoming a hypocrite is part of the aging process, perhaps. You know what I mean? But yeah, but it's like, yeah, that's a kind of a false narrative that it's, yeah. Well, just 
Yeah, I just read this like last week. I didn't know. Apparently it was BP that had a marketing campaign in the 2000s about how can you reduce your carbon footprint? So it was the oil companies that came with this, came up with the whole concept of the individual carbon footprint. And so this is what I've just read as well. If we all do these individual steps to like make the world better, it won't be enough. It needs massive global directed worldwide change. And we see that already makes a difference when the governments get together and they're like, right, we're going to do this. It works, you know? I can, I can feel the libertarians. I can <laughs> I can feel them out there like, oh, our intervention. I've changed. I used to be more of a libertarian as well again 10 years ago. And now yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm all about big government. And I think government's the best invention that we've ever had. I think taxis are the best invention that we've ever had. Mm. Think about it. We get everyone to chip in just a little bit of money. Yeah. And we get healthcare and roads and schools and, you know, working electricity and all the benefits, I know taxis suck and I know they're not spent wisely and I know they're not spent efficiently and I know there's corruption in every country, all of that stuff. But even if the system's not perfect, it's still amazing. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they certainly, when you find out that people like Jeff Bezos like haven't paid any, then it's for sure, it, it, it could use some improvement, you know? But, you know, I think there is something to be said for people in, in investing in the place that they live in. I mean, you know, I'm not saying just to justify the air that you're breathing, but uh, you know, people need people, you know, we're interdependent. So yeah. it's definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. let's not get into that. I mean, he'll be, so I mean, the I whole want system, the percentage, what should the, should the tax is, percentage rate be? <laughs> the whole system is terrible, but I just mean the concept of that. And even like government, I used to be more libertarian, anti kind of government. Now I'm like, we as human beings who used to live in villages and nomads and packs and stuff, We've now got a system where we all come together and we all sit country in a country and we debate stuff and agree on the way. Like, have you ever done a group project? You can't even get five people to agree on how things are done. And somehow as a humanity, we've got like, so let's say the UK, 75 million people. The parliament's garbage, but we've still figured out how to make it do something. Well, it does something, but sometimes what it does is, is I mean, I'm just alternative viewpoint. Like, for example, democracy is just like kind of just the most amount of people telling the least amount of people what's going to happen. And that's an, as an ideal. You know what I mean? It's like American democracy was different than that. You know, it, yeah, things things happen. You know, it's just I, I, I always think about like, what about the people that don't have a, a voice in the government? You know, you don't hear about them as much. You know what I mean? So it, it, it there's, there can be like a very out of sight out of mind kind of thing. But things do things to, to get done. Important things get done, you know. I mean, I'm not saying it's done well. Yeah. Just the fact that even, we're still really early on in human development, if you think about it, right? <laughs> or this might be getting towards the end. <laughs> or it might be, well, that's also true. It could be the end soon as well. Who knows? But either way, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. I just think people. the concept that all these, all these languages, all these cultures, all these concepts, that not only can we do it country by country. Then we come together at like the G20 level, the NATO level, the European, and we managed to get things done. It's kind of cool when you think about it. Like I know it's terrible and I know it's not the best. And I know there's plenty of people who don't have a voice. Like I'm not saying it's, it works out well, but the fact that just as human beings, we can even do that is, it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, I definitely, I, I would have to say, I mean, it's great that we're not constantly at war. And of course, by us, I, I don't mean Americans because Americans 
are constantly at war. But I just I just mean people in general, <laughs> you know, that we, we, we've got some kind of, you know, there is some kind of, there is something in place, you know, there's, there are certain values that I think most people like to uphold. I think that, you know, human rights is, is something, you know, it's, it's a great concept to embrace. I think for the most part, for the most part, human beings on an individual level believe in the dignity of human life, whether that's reflected in our governments, whether it's reflected in our societies all the time is another thing. But, you know, so I, I do believe in that. I do believe in, in humanity's ability and in, in, in each human being's ability to be, you know, the best they can be. And at their best, you know, they can be pretty great. You know, I just say my, my, my faith in systems is, is I've been hurt, <laughs> but this isn't about me. I love how, how positive you are. I love how, you know, like you, you're, you try to, you know, kind of look on the bright side thing. I think that, that my brain, I, I sort of venture into that a little bit, you know, I think as a comedian, like I always venture towards the other half a bit. But but that's but that's great. I think that's what draws people to you, you know. So thank you. So that's really cool, man. It's getting harder lately. Last couple of years have been tough. Last couple of days. Couple of years. Couple of years. Okay. Something happened. I don't know. A pandemic or something like that. But there was a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear about? I haven't heard anything about yeah. this, dude. We're about. To... <laughs> but that that's uh, that's it's made so many knock on effects. It's made it tough. So I, it's I get that a lot. That I'm positive. It's been harder than ever. To keep that mindset lately. Yeah. You know, pandemic was, yeah, pandemic, yeah, it's, I mean, it's still, the effects are, are still palpable. What is it that got you through lockdown stuff? I don't know. What like, got me there? I mean, being with Adrian is the obvious question, and I'm trying to think of not, sorry, the obvious answer. You better answer that because you don't listen to this. Yeah, thing. I know she's going to listen to it. I'm trying to think of something that's not that, but it is that. I mean, Adrian's, Adrian's like, why? Yeah, yeah. She's like, well, he better see me. He better see me. It's like, I'm trying not to say the love of my life. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Well, it's just because it's too obvious and I talk about it so much, but it is. The, it is. We got, we get, we got through it together, you know, yeah. but it was tough as well. You know, it's tough on our relationship, tough on everyone's relationships, you know, tough on everyone. Sure. It's hard and so many knock-on effects. Like, you know, as well, like I've said, obviously I lost my job because of that. I had, it was my, I had my dream job at the time as well. I absolutely loved that job. As the reason we stayed in Vietnam was because of that job. Mm. So now we're still here because of a job I lost. And so there's a lot of knock-on effects. But from. now you got more time to do this, man. Yeah, I do. That's good. Everything will work out in the end, right? If it's not okay, it's not the end. But it's been a it's been a tough couple of years, but for everyone, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, it's it's been wild, man. You know, I had I I actually I had that joke, and I thought about about you know some of my my friends that are in couples, which is like you know, when you're in a couple and you're in lockdown, you find out what you don't like about that person. You know, it just becomes glaringly obvious. You know, I was alone. When you're alone, you find out what you don't like about yourself. <laughs> so. well, we we found out what we liked about each other, and what we liked about each other was going out <laughs> and we're stuck at home. That was the thing. We just got so bored with each other. We were just doing the same because we were locked up for three months, so we were just in such a boring routine. Get up, make coffee, have breakfast. Adrian had to go teach online. I would go do like work on seven million bikes. We'd meet for lunch, which was just in silence of just eating lunch together, put something on the TV, 
and she would have to go back and teach or do whatever. I would go back and do my work. In the evening, we'd come back together, eat some food, watch some TV, go to bed and repeat yeah. every day, you know, yeah. for like three months. And you're just looking out the window like there's no one there. There's nothing. There's... And when you, as you know, like we said, we hung out the other night. We're really social. We like to go out. I do shows nearly every night. If not, I'm out somewhere else meeting someone, talking. And we enjoy that. Even if it's just the two of us, we love going out, hanging out, having a cocktail, having a beer, talking, like just, even we'll go for a walk together, we just talk non-stop. But when you're just stuck at home all day, it's kind of like, it's not the same. I want to say two things was, I, 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 I w I'm going to guess, and maybe not you, but there's, there's a lot of people who feel the same way that you do. But I think for some people, at some point, lockdown, there's going to be a whole wave of like lockdown nostalgia. You know what I mean? <laughs> like maybe 10 years from now, they're gonna start coming out with movies about, cause they're not talking about that shit now. They don't even talk about it in, in TV shows and movies. Like nobody wants to hear about it. It's just too soon, you know? But I'm guessing that, that uh, you know, I don't know how long it's gonna take, but at some point. But the other thing that I'm gonna say about you and Adri was that, so you had that show the other night and I, I went downstairs after the show, you know, I like hanging out. I wasn't performing the show, but I like hanging out after any comedy show. And I went and talked to two for a while. And then I went upstairs and then I kind of like walked in the door and you and Adri were like chatting it up at the bar. And I was like, God damn, these people still got stuff to talk about. It was like, I was looking at two people on a date. It was so sweet. I was like, wow, like you were like actively, and it wasn't like, oh, no. Did, did you leave the goddamn iron on again? You know what I mean? And I, I told you to defrost that Has shit. Has the trash been taken out? No, right, no. Like, oh, why are you sitting there not doing anything? <laughs> Have you got that yet? You're in a new relationship. No, no, Have you I'm got just, to that I'm stage just, yet? No, I'm just referencing one of your, you know, it could get there. It could get there, though. Yeah. No, but that's cute. No, and I feel that sometimes, and that is the point I'm making here. We really enjoy our com each other's company. So the beginning of lockdown was good, and we enjoyed each other's company. And it was just, by the end, it was just boring, you know? It was just like... I'm doing anything so but that's a really sweet that you noticed that and, it's, and I feel that sometimes I feel like when we're hanging out I'm like how are we still talking like we just yeah it's that it's that's pretty dope. cute but can we go back because we didn't finish about the journalism joke <laughs> dying to oh, find yeah. I'm dying to finish it okay I'm dying to finish this okay. the true story okay. so the joke is when I teach these kids I have to teach them journalism and I make a joke out of it but the real story is so that really happened my first ever day training to be a teacher, never never been in a classroom before. They gave me a list of jobs to teach and they give you the lesson plan because you're just learning at that point and you're just practicing getting up. And one of the words was journalism. And so then you, if you don't, and now the way we learned to do teaching, we were putting these like little groups and then you all work together. And, you know, so we're in a group of four. And so there was one of them was Jason. And I can't remember the other two right now off the top of my head, but you all help each other before the lesson. So they all knew this was going to be a problem. And the instructor knew because we'd all kind of talked about it. So we all knew, because I knew that words with R in, in the middle, any word, murder, burger, dirty, curly, wurly, comes out funny with a Scottish accent. So I'd already told them this word is going to be fucked, like journalism, I have to teach this. And so there's this bit I don't put in the joke, I've never worked it in, but as I go to teach this word to the classroom, I can see the three of them and the instructor they're all just like waiting. They've all got like this grin on their face, like waiting for me to say it. And so I'm like, right, everyone repeat after me, journalism. And they all just are cracking up silently in the back. And I can even see the, the lecturer with like this wry grin on her face, just like, fucking yeah, he's done it. He's had to do it. And I, yeah. 
So that's the part I don't tell them the joke. It's an absolutely true story. And then I make up the punchline. I think your jokes, more than any other comic that I know personally, are based on like your real life. Like, you know, some of them, they might be based on something real, but then it just gets off, gets off into something like crazy and surreal. But yours, like, it, it's like you really have a way of, of seeing the funny things in life and like delivering them. Like that's kind of that's kind of like your style. Yeah, and that and, that was when I guess when I finally made the the leap to getting on stage was just so I've got these funny things that happened and I'd written enough down. And I was like, I think I've got enough kind of things because I just sent the video of my first ever stand up to a mutual friend of ours to give them encouragement because they just started as well. And I was like, here's the first time I did it, and I'd hadn't watched it in a while. And they messaged back and they were like, your cheat on your wife joke was in your first ever set. And I was like. Oh shit, so it was. And I four years later, I still tell that joke. So the joke is, a student, this again really happened. The student came up to me after class. She knew Adri. We worked on the same floor, me and Adri, and she knew Adri was my wife. She always, she was so funny, this kid. She always used to give me shit. She's like, Mr. Neil, your wife is so beautiful. Why is she married to you? Like, stuff like that. She was so funny. So she knew who Adri was. And one day after class, she came up to me and she went, Mr. Neil, have you ever cheat on your wife? And I was like, what? Why are you asking me this? She's like, oh, well, I saw on YouTube all these women were crying and talking about how their husbands had cheated on them and stuff. And I was like, all right, okay, well, Kathy, you shouldn't ask me that question, you know, and then we kind of walked on all day. So that, that's what really happened. And then the joke is, she asked me, have you ever cheated on a wife, on your wife? And I was like, that's a terrible question. Have you ever cheated on your yeah. wife? Right, so, so that's what, yeah, that is what I take these real life scenarios and then I try and think of like, how can you add a, a punchline to them? Yeah. Basically. Yeah, I'm not that creative. I don't actually think of sit and think of funny. That's why I always love it when you hear a comedian like talks about like I was writing jokes all day and I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? I don't write jokes. I just like funny things happen and then I'm like, okay, how do I tell that one? Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of comedians, a lot of comedians don't write. Patrice O'Neill didn't write. Apparently, he didn't write anything down. Really? Well, there was then I I heard a comedian on a podcast talk about she had the same feelings as me. She'd be here comedians talk about they would write jokes and she's like wait what you write jokes mm-hmm. like so she tried to do it and then she felt her performances like decline mm. so she went back to so the way she describes she just does the same as me yeah so i was like okay that makes me feel better i don't i don't need to sit and spend an hour like oh, yeah. coming up with material yeah, I, I just let life happen and, yeah. yeah i haven't done it in a long time either but like the the other but then the other thing is like it's just actually just sitting in your standing in your house i'm like is this what's crazy? Sitting down at my laptop, or just like sitting in my house talking to myself and pacing up and down the house. But I haven't done that. I used to do it more, I think. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of more more like you in that way. But you have you get a lot of stage time. I do, I do. Yeah, that helps. That does help. Yeah. But this is one of this happened to me today. So I was going to work on this. So anyone listening and for yourself, I've got no joke for this, but this is the start of it. Okay. Vietnamese people are that like just the most helpful people in the world but the most impatient at the same time. Mm. So like today, this girl was putting like some paperwork in an envelope and she was just struggling a little bit. She was going to get there eventually. It's not that it's just putting paper in an envelope, but the girl watching is like jumps in and has to try and help her immediately. And I'm just watching this play out and I'm like, you're so nice and you've been so helpful. You're so impatient. Just wait like 10 more seconds and she'll figure this out. Yeah. So I don't know. I have to come up with a punchline for that. I just, it happens all the time in Vietnam though. Have you noticed yeah. that people are helpfully impatient i i was thinking about impatience the other day because one of my students was like six years old was wearing heels 
And I was like, I was just like, what are you like in like 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 an adult like little skirt and heels? I was like, first of all, gross. But second of all, it's a, the kid's gonna be short for a while. Just let the kid be. You know what I mean? Be patient. Okay. So you so you were you were into comedy in in New Zealand. What did you want to do when when you were a kid? Oh, a football player. Yeah, soccer player for the U Americans, football player. I was set, I'm still obsessed with football since like I've got one of my first pictures I've ever seen of me is me wrapped with a Rangers scarf around me. So I was like football mad. And then as I got a teenager and I realized I wasn't any good at football, I wanted to be a rock star. And then I wasn't really good at being a rock star either. I was in a band for like one week playing the bass, but I couldn't play bass. So I just played three chords. But you always hear about bass players that couldn't play bass. Then they end up being like, the bass player in the band. I'm pretty sure Coldplay's bass player couldn't play bass. Pretty sure Arctic Monkeys was the same. There's a few other bands where like the bass player was just a mate. And it's like, yeah, this is easy to play. Come and play this. Hashtag shit Sid Vicious. <laughs> right. Is he was he similar? Yeah, he couldn't play. Right. Yeah, that's the guy from the Sex Pistols. He was I know who he is. I just didn't know that. I'm just I'm singing for the studio. <laughs> <laughs> but I was hoping that was gonna be me. I was hoping I was gonna be the friend who couldn't play guitar. <laughs> And be like, come and play bass because you're shit at the guitar. And then I'd get good at the bass and then suddenly I'd be in like a famous rock band. Because that, that story is like, that. I've seen that story happen so many times. That is so fun. Like you, you want, you, I, I want to be the guy that doesn't have any talent. That still makes, he defied the odds. Yeah. He didn't know how to play bass. You hear all the time? So the one song, the one song we played in the studio was Columbia by Oasis, which is still one of my favorite songs, but it's three chords. It's A, C, and D. The lead guitarist has a lot more to do, but for the bass and for the rhythm, it's A, C, and D. So for me on the bass, it was just A, C, D. And that was on one song in the studio. Yeah. And I would, I, I could, I, I am okay at the guitar. So I could play a little bit, you know, whatever you would call it. You're getting better, man. I've seen, I, I mean, I've seen your, your, your humble beginnings on guitar and stuff, you know, as you're, as you've been developing, like writing songs. So was that, was that, the, was that always a thing? And then you just started, you found a way to, cause you know, as I'm sure you all know, Neil does musical comedy as well as doing stand up comedy. He has like, kind of like, like spoof songs that he does. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that was bringing that together. So I stopped playing the guitar for about 10 years. Like I didn't even own a guitar in New Zealand. My electric guitar is still in, in my parents' house. I think I sold my acoustic guitar when I first left Scotland like 20 years ago. So I didn't play the guitar. So this actually is quite funny because, so as you know, I just got interviewed by for an, an article. And I'd forgotten that I'd said this, right? So one of, I so I started playing the guitar again about four years ago, five years ago, after about a year I'd been in Vietnam. And one of the reasons I got a guitar was because I realized I felt super basic, right? I didn't do anything. I had no hobbies. I taught and I drank beer. That was it, which is what a lot of people do. And that's okay when you're traveling for a little bit because many people will know I came to Vietnam for six weeks. Six years later, we're still here. So for the first year, that's okay. But then after a year, you're like, well, I don't want this to be my life. It's just drinking beer. And my favorite radio show in New Zealand, which I listen to every morning still, they have this phrase where they talk about people constructing a personality around X. So be like, it sounds like you're constructing a personality around wearing a hoodie or you're, you're constructing a personality about eating McDonald's, you know, something like so stupid, but you're like, const so this has been in my head. So I've been laughing about it for a while. And then I'd forgotten because I'd done this interview for the article. He wrote in the article, Mackay had been constructing a personality around drinking beer. 
<laughs> and I was like, did I say that to him? So I literally took this line from my favorite and I'm going to send it to them and be like, you guys have influenced me so much that I've this snuck into an article. But it was true. So that, that actually was true. I was constructing a personality around drinking beer. I had no other traits. I had no other hobbies. I, if you asked me, like, this is what the realization was like, if you asked me, like, what's your hobbies or what do you do? I'd be like, I drink beer. I don't know. Like, I go to school teaching and I go drink beer, you know? So I got the guitar, started learning the guitar again. That was really fun. I was like, yeah, I got a hobby. Then comedy came and then the musical comedy was kind of, I guess, an amalgamation of that, which was never planned. But I do tell you the first ever time I showed up at the Hard Rock Cafe for a show there with my guitar, got dropped off in a taxi at the front door. I didn't take a crab bike, I didn't drive myself. I got dropped off in a taxi. It's still one of the fucking coolest things in my life. I'll never forget that. I remember yeah, pulling up at the Hard Rock Cafe with my guitar, yeah. dressed as the way I wanted to be dressed. I'm just like, I'm about to fucking do a gig at a <laughs> cafe and musical comedy. So I've been, yeah. I'll just never remember that feeling. That, I, that felt like a rock star at that point. That's really, because you. it's like, it's almost like you escaped from normality. You're, you you escaped from, from banality, you know, which most people don't get to do. Like most people, I think, like creatives, are probably just like always weird and they get weirder or, or they just find a way to capitalize on their weirdness or whatever. But you had like kind of like you were just like on the way to just be like, and they were like, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And maybe that's why some days I don't feel like I fit in with other comedians or other creative people. Cause I've never thought about that being the reason, but yeah, some people are just creative from birth. Right. And they, they are, or from like a young age, I, I was never creative in school. I didn't sing, I didn't dance, I didn't perform, I didn't act, played football. I constructed a personality around football. I wasn't good at that. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah better late than never. Yeah. Cheers, young. Yeah. It's pretty weird to then at this age, then suddenly be doing comedy and musical comedy. But that's awesome. And man. a podcast. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, this is so far re removed from who I was mm. four years ago. But that could be inspirational. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like, you know, just drinking some domestic beer yeah, yeah, it's in, the United, in the United oh, States. Maybe, yeah. There's probably somebody, just some sad person drinking a Budweiser out there. <laughs> Man, you can do it, bro. Just get in there. You can get in the game. All right. So I've got these questions. Now this is going to be, this is going to be, Neil, it's time to go through the five, seven million bikes questions. Now, Neil, you made these questions up. And you've been asking people these questions for a long ass time. If you don't have the best questions, the best answers for these goddamn questions, I swear to God. No, I, no, no. Do you know what? I, today I was like, I got to think of the answers to these questions. And then as I told you, I've been so busy. I actually haven't had that much time to think of the answers. So I know some of them, some of them I've already pre-prepared. Let's see how we do it. Let's see how we go. And to make it interesting, I'm not going to ask them in order. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've thought about this. Okay. So thought about it a little bit. if you could, which is like, you could totally could, but if you could travel anywhere in Vietnam for a week, where would you go and why? So I did, I did have to think about this quite hard because I was like, right, would it be Hoi An and sit on the beach and chill out? Because, you know, An Bang Beach and then Hoi An Old Town or Phu Quoc, just chill on the beach for a week. Because as I always stress to the guests, you have to stay there for a week. I thought, then I was just talking to Matt Tran, who's just got back from Sapa. And I've been there before, but we only did a four-day trip. Sorry, not Sapa, Hazang. 
And I was like, so I don't know if that's breaking the rules because if you do hazang, you don't stay in the one place. You have to move about. But if it was, I could do a weekend hazang. You've done it as well, right? It's just otherworldly is the only adjective I can use to describe it. And I was talking to Matt about this. When I went, I was like, I can't describe this to someone. It's it's too beautiful. Like there's no words that I can convey that you will understand what I'm seeing with my own eyes right now. That's it's that amazing, right? It is. It's like it's like an alien landscape. You feel like you come around this huge mountain, you're looking down at this valley with all this vertical, this farming that is just like these symmetrical patterns, and you think. It's overwhelmingly beautiful. And you go, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And then you go around the next mountain and you're like, this is the new most beautiful yeah. thing I've yeah. ever seen. And then you go around the next mountain you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah that's a great way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. So it's, I do you know, a weekend, sure. weekend hazang for sure. True that, true that. And I don't think that's cheating because you're still in the same... Yeah. All right. It doesn't mean like go and sit on the one beach or seven days. If you want to go to prison anywhere in Vietnam, you can take that out if you like. (laughs) What advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam for the first time? Um, I know. See, look, I've not even got a proper answer for this. I should do. Everyone's answered it so well. That's the other problem. Like it's been answered so well. So I'm trying to think of something new, but it's the same. Oh, you gave me these questions. I know I gave you them. I know. That's what I'm saying. I didn't prepare properly for my own questions that I've asked 10 other people. Um, enjoy it mostly. Just be prepared for the chaos, right? Like we all know. It's, it's difficult as well now, this question, because I've been here for so long. So I'm trying to transplant myself back to six years ago. And what was it like? And it was just amazing. It was so mind blowing. It was so crazy. So just be prepared for all of that, but also be cautious, you know, with your phone. Don't have your phone out. You know, I, I didn't even have my phone out and I got robbed. So be careful for that. But don't worry about it, I guess, is the other thing. Because I remember when I first came here, I, was, I had so many horror stories. Like, don't drink the coffee because it's fake. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just, it's not that, it's not that bad. Enjoy yourself. Don't go to Boy VN because it's shit. That's a big one. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even invite somebody to go there one time? Yeah, you probably should go one time. I, when I went six years ago, and I sound like an old fucking, I sound like an old expat now. It was better. And when I went six years ago, people were telling me how it was better before. But you know, have you been to Bolivian recently? Like now, I, it's, I, I might, I might go tonight. I've only just driven like through it just to see what it's like. Now it's gotten even crazier. It used to be like loads of local, like Vietnamese plastic stool places, and it was a bit crazy. And you know, it was a bit of a seedy side to it. And but you could avoid that if you wanted. Now it's just all these nightclubs and, and, and typical Vietnamese fashion. It's who can be the loudest, who can be the biggest, who can be the, the most ostentatious. And so it's just gotten horrible. So go check out Boy VN, but once, maybe during the day, don't go there late at night, but enjoy yourself. Have a good time. I think Boy VN is so loud. It's so loud you can't hear yourself think because if you think clearly... For five seconds, you're gonna be like, I gotta get the fuck out yeah. of here right now. But I, I got, but I got a friend visiting from Japan, so again, I might have to. We got, we got friends visiting tonight that oh, yeah? we met in Bar, uh, in Borneo in Indonesia. Wow. Um, when we were traveling six years ago, right before we got to Vietnam. Yeah. And then they, they now live in Singapore, but we obviously haven't really seen them, but we've kept in touch. So they get to Vietnam tonight. Wow. So we're gonna take them to D4 to the Vincan to Food okay. Street. You should, that's a good place for tourists. So yeah, if you are, there's a good one for tourists. Go to Vin Can on 
it's called we call it sushi street but i don't i think we're the only people that call it sushi street or do you call it that as well no i just i, I just that street, street food street food yeah, yeah. they do snails there's one there's only one sushi place and i think because we went there the first time we went there we just called it sushi street for years and it wasn't until someone was like i don't know this and we we're like oh that street and they're like oh yeah no one calls it Sushi Street. And we were like, oh, I think it's just us. Then they call it that. There's one Sushi That's like calling Boy Vien a coffee place. I know. A coffee street. Because they I, know, one. I know. It's so stupid. What would you call Boy Vien if you had to, if you had to change the name? Or what street is it? You know what Hell. I mean? Hell. Hell. Street. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Borneo sounds like a made up place. <laughs> just like Abu Dhabi. <laughs> All right. What advice would you give to someone about thinking what would you? What advice would you give to someone thinking about moving to well, Vietnam? Well, if you're thinking about it, I never thought about the thinking part of it, and I asked the question: If you're thinking of doing it, do it. You have to do it. It's an unbelievable place to live. Practical advice: Have your paperwork in order. I know it's so boring, but you know you've lived here as well. If you don't have paperwork in order, I didn't. I didn't have access to my bank card for six months because I didn't have my TRC because I had to get documents signed and dated and all this stuff back in the UK. So. Be ready for the bureaucracy here. Like, it's insane. So we talked about my phone being stolen. The joke is, and again, this is true, I went to report my phone being stolen and they wouldn't let me in because I had shorts on. Like, just be prepared for that shit. I've been here six years and I wasn't prepared for it. And when I told people, they were like, yeah, it's a government building. You can't go in with shorts on. And I'm like, it's a police station. I don't think of it as a government building. Like, so what if I had a knife in my side? They'd be like, no, you can't come in because you have shorts on. Like, so be prepared for that stuff. Get your documentation in order. But if you are thinking of moving here, absolutely do it. I was thinking about this answer today. And the thing is, right, so you see it posted all the time on expat groups. People saying, oh, I'm thinking of moving here. They're from overseas. Where, where would you recommend to live? And there's two camps. And I, I hate this all the time. I see in the expat groups, you get the virtue signals. that like, you should live in a local area, blah, blah, blah. And then there's me who lives in Taudin. And I'm like, no, you should live in Taudin. And I've been in both camps because I've lived in D4 for many years. Then I've lived in Funyan. And now I live in the peaceful serenity of Taudin. And if I didn't live here, I wouldn't live in Vietnam. I'll be honest. Like I wouldn't, I couldn't have lived in those other areas any longer. And you know the reasons why. The karaoke, the construction at midnight, the, the schools. We used to live across from a school that would start at 6.30. Like I can't live like that. Yeah. Like I just can't. I split the difference. Yeah. I live. I live in Lambert. <laughs> that's the dif that's the difference. That's splitting. It's splitting the difference. It's splitting the difference because oh Jesus, I spilled some water. But luckily Neil has these uh, weird cup coverings that keep the glass from breaking. Well, it's more the water and the electrics. But can we just add that? I, did you? Oh, you went there when I knocked my beer over. Okay. On Wednesday night, uh -huh. I talked with my hands too much and on yeah. stage I yeah. knocked my beer over oh, and way. it fell onto the electrics. But this isn't electric. There's no electricity. No, no, we're okay. No, but this beer did. It fell onto. So luckily, I grabbed it in time. <laughs> on stage, I fucking knocked over like half of a, a pretty full beer. The glass smashed and the beer went everywhere. So, wow. Don't worry, I got another beer. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank God. Don't Jesus worry about Christ. that. Yeah, it's come fine. on. I hope they paid for yeah. it, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, what was it? But I was going to say. Oh, yeah. You split the difference by living oh, in Oh, Lampard. yeah, by living in Because it's like, you know, you get the you, the the being removed from reality. Yeah. But you still have Vietnamese neighbors. You know? Well, so this is the thing is when I say this repeatedly. So you li I live in Tao Dien, but there's lots of expats, but most of my neighbors are Vietnamese. Yes. Like it's not like a, it's like a, it's not like exclusively expat. There's right. still more Vietnamese people. But there's also this thing about expats, like anything, right? They just think of white expats. 
Mm. My neighbors are Korean, Indian, Japanese, French. They're still kind of white, right? But, oh, wait, but then that means they're immigrants. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we get to that. Let's keep it real. But there's, so there's many different people here. But so if people are thinking of moving here, think what's best for you and your family, right? So I would absolutely recommend trying out District 4 or Funyan and see how you like it. But just be prepared. That's really going to attack your senses. It's going to attack your normality. It's really different. Like, so the example for me in Funyan, the reason we left, part of the reason, there was many reasons. Part of the reasons was underneath our building, which was really nice, there was like a tin corrugated hut and they were burning stuff all the time and it stunk really badly. Our apartment stunk of burning shit, like plastic or whatever. By the way, Neil's saying burn it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I know exactly. And that's me trying to make it. That's me trying to, if I said burning, if I was being really Scottish, I'd be like, there was, there was some cunts burning something outside. I heard you say bonding, and I thought like they were like welding or something, and you were smelling. I was like, oh wait, oh, wait they were burning something. Okay, I see. It. This is my life, right? <laughs> yeah. So they were burning something outside. I put on my American accent. Code switch, man. Come and, on, like, uh, I do it all the time. And uh, and then my landlord, who is an amazing guy, and I'm still friends with. He's a great landlord. I was like, come and see your building. Look at the side of the building. It's black because they're burning something. Wait, what? What are they? What are they burning? And then he looked at me and he was like, ha yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, so we're breathing in whatever they're burning. Your building is black and your reaction is just to laugh about it. But because what can you do about it? It's not like a normal city where there's ordinances like don't fucking burn shit next to an apartment. Like it's just still a very developing city. So be prepared if you live in those areas, you're going to get that. Till the end, there's still people burning stuff. Like you still will have karaoke somewhere, but it's generally quieter. So think about where you want to live. Think about what's best for you. Don't listen to those expats who virtue signal like, oh, well, you have to come and live in like this local area to get the full experience. You will still get an experience. It's just a different one. It's pretty different. Yeah, I get that. Okay. What do you think the difference is? And we touched on this again a little bit before. What do you think the difference is between an expat and an immigrant? Well, I, I've answered this kind of inadvertent. I try not to answer these questions when I ask them, but I've ended up answering this in the in the season. But to me, immigrant has been weaponized to become a negative thing that like a black-white thing or brown-white thing, like white people can't be an immigrant, brown people are immigrants, and then expats, this like some, some virtue signalers, which is a big bugbear of mine. I see it so much on expat groups, people who just love to virtue signal how fortuitous they are. They'll be all expats, follower. An expat is just someone who's here for an indiscriminate or an indefinite, sorry, amount of time. So they don't know if they're going to be here forever. And most people come to Vietnam not knowing how long they're going to be here. So when someone calls themselves an expat, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're just literally an expatriate. You've left your home country. You don't know when you're going back, but you're not going to be here forever. An immigrant, by definition, is someone who has left their home country without a plan to return and has moved to another country. Now, the problem is a lot of Immigrants, especially in the States and in the UK, are brown people from brown countries. And unfortunately, there's racist fuckwits in those countries who have now then used the word immigrant in a negative term. So now we think of, some people think of immigrant negatively. But at its base, I'm saying it's just a description of who you are based on your time, where you're going. So that's why when I see these virtue signalers being like, Oh, why you call yourself an expat? Why are you not an immigrant? And they try and make it like a race thing. I know there's a race background to it, but I think they're applying logic or they're applying what's happened in other countries 
and then try and apply it here, but it doesn't it doesn't work. So that's my definition. An expat is just someone, I'm an expat. I don't know if I'll be here forever. I don't even know if I'll be here next year. I probably will, but that doesn't make me, I'm not an immigrant. I New Zealand is my new home. I'm not, I don't live in Scotland anymore. If I go back to New Zealand, I would never call myself an expat. I would be an immigrant because I'm going to live there forever. Have you ever heard of in, say, a Western country? I don't want to say white country because that's like, you know, that's reductive, right? But have you ever heard of, like, say, in the United States, a person of color coming into that place, maybe temporarily to, to work and being referred to as an expat? I haven't because I just haven't helped. I've not been in that situation to hear someone say that. So I don't know if it's ever happened or not. Can, can, <laughs> could you honestly say, I don't know if that's ever happened or not, like ever in life? And I don't know, but what do you think that person would call themselves? Cause they, so say you had someone from India who's working in the US for a short amount of time. What yeah. would he call himself? Like what? he wouldn't call himself an immigrant because he's not an immigrant. Right. So what well, would he say? I guess I guess I wonder I wonder if that would applies. What I'm just asking is that applies the other way around because I've I've literally never ever heard like you know say an Indian person in the United uh, he's an expat. It's like what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it is funny the way the way those words are loaded. What would he call himself? I don't know. I'm not sure. That's what I mean. But I think because a lot of people are immigrants that are from India, they they have moved to the US or the UK with the intention of staying. So because there are many brown people from many, many different countries who are immigrants, the majority of them are actually immigrants. Right. But then the fascists, the right wing or whatever, have then taken that word and now it's gained a negative meaning, I'm saying. So I'm just saying the kind of rules that have been used in the Western yeah. Worlds don't yeah. really apply here, but these virtue right. signalers love to try and apply these logic to make it out like you're not an expat. And you're like, well, no, but I am. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That's it's, my it's rant funny. for it. Yeah, That's just yeah. my rant. It's funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Man, we got to wrap this up. If... All right. So this is the last one. Yeah. And God damn it, Neil, this is the last one. I'm excited you for it. Some thought. I have given this one. All right. I had a feeling. Okay. If Vietnam was a person. Yeah. How would you describe them? All right, one word. Random. Vietnam is the most random place on the planet. Well, I've ever, most random place I've ever been to. You know, I, so I'm not even gendering it. It's just random. Like the things you see on the streets every day, the things that you hear about happening, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You're just like, why are you having a picnic by the side of the highway? You saw that one, right? It was about a year ago, these, this family like just stopped on the side of the highway to have a picnic. Sometimes you walk out and someone's selling like belts on a random street corner and like, why have you chosen here to sell belts? How about the suspended turtle? Like in District 3? Yeah. Like they'll have a, they'll, it'd be like somebody on the side of the street, they're, they're selling turtles, you know, as if like it's an impulse buy, like you're driving, oh shit, I, man, I, I, I need, I needed a turtle. Thank you. It'll be a bunch of little turtles and one turtle like on a, on a cinder block that can't get down, is just hanging in there, baking in the sun. And then, of course, all the expats are like, oh, that's cruel, that's yeah. animal. It's as if they're not, like, slaughtering pigs and chickens. And so, yeah, super Virtue random. signaling. Right. Virtue signaling, right. exactly. So that would be my biggest thing is if you if it was a person, it would be one of these, like, really random person that you never really know what they're going to do next. Sometimes they do something amazing and you're like, wow, that's so cool. And then other times you're like, why are you doing that? I just don't understand what's going on right now. 
that would be Vietnam as a person to me. And we're not even talking about driving right now. Everything. It encompasses everything. If I want all the time I'm driving about, I'm walking about, I'm just like random. Vietnam is random. There's, and maybe that's just cultural. I, I know it will be, but I definitely think you could ask Vietnamese people about why they're doing that. And they'll be like, I don't know either. Like, I, yeah. like the stopping for a, a picnic. That was in the news. Yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers. There was a family stopped on the highway and set up like a picnic. Do you think it's kind of, I think this is like cut and paste thing that happens. Like, let's say driving, for example, where what we'll do is we see one weird thing and we'll be like, man, Vietnamese people do some crazy ass shit, right? Like, you know, this happened this morning, which was that, I mean, it happens pretty often. I'm driving to work and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not on time or I'm like just on time. So I can't mess around, you know, and of course the faster you go, the quicker dumb things that other people do happen, right? In other words, like if somebody's doing something crazy, it's gonna happen more quickly if you're driving quickly. So of course, someone is making a left turn from the right lane. Oh, I saw that today, a car, car pulled into the right hand lane to turn left. I was like, what are you doing? No signal, Joseph. And I think it was easy to kind of go, you see, you see how, but then you don't notice there's like 90 other people in that moment that aren't doing the same thing, you know? So we, we, we will tend to like sort of take the one thing and like cut and paste it and make multi and like, see how these left turn in the right lane people ass do. It does happen too often though. Yeah, no, um, sure. Again, just so one last thing for the random thing. Like I remember as well, you've probably seen it. Like you go round a roundabout and someone's having like, they've set up a plastic table and beers and a hot pot in the middle of the roundabout or something like that. And you're just like, why have you chosen there of all places? Like, why are you doing your gathering that you've obviously communicated with people? Like, right, this is where we're meeting here to make hot pot and drink beer. You're like, it's just so random. Yeah. Have, have, did you talk about the, the, the fire breathing lady boys on the show yet? You had to don't think so. No, no, that one, that kind of random as well. Yeah, fire so breathing. Talk about that a little bit. I don't think we have time. Okay, all right, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what, folks? That's all you get of Neil Mackay right now. But I think there is a special announcement that Neil wants to make about the future of seven million bikes. Yeah, I do. I have. Uh, I've told a few people this already. So, big announcement is I'm going to be taking a step back from hosting for the next season. The exciting news is there's going to be some amazing guest host so a vietnam podcast isn't going anywhere as i mentioned the last couple of years have been tough and i think so i feel this last season and i've spoke to a couple of people and i don't think the listeners have noticed but i feel like my my i don't want to say my heart's not been in it but i feel like i've not given it as much as i could i feel like i've not given the guest as much as i could it's been a little bit of a paint by numbers i guess a little bit you're asking me before but guess i was really excited for and i felt this season i wasn't as excited as i was and i was doing it because i want to put out a good product because i know it sounds cheesy but i'm doing it for the listeners because there's people i know that listen every episode that really enjoy it and i that's kept me going this season like literally kept me going there was a few months ago i said to adriel i was like i think i'm gonna stop like, i don't want to want to do this anymore and i kept doing it and then recently i was like i think the best thing right now is just to take a break uh, regroup, take a rest, get some new stories. I feel like I would repeat myself a lot. Like the season before last, I kept talking about not being able to speak Vietnamese and I was like, I'm boring myself here, like talking about this. So I felt like I was boring myself and I don't want to bore the listeners. So it is exciting. I'm still going to be fully involved producing the show, making the show, putting it out. 
But for the exciting thing is you're going to get a new voice to hear and new guests and they're going to interview. And, and I'm really excited for that to give other people a platform as well. Because for me doing comedy as well, the most exciting thing from the beginning has been giving people platforms, you know, and when you, when comedians say like, oh, I did my first ever paid show your gig or you give someone the first ever proper gig or even with the open mic, you're helping get people up. And the podcast as well. I like to talk a lot, so this is nice. But with the podcast, I try and give a voice to other people. So those 80 interviews I kind of mentioned, it's given 80 people a platform to talk about and share their story. And so you, maybe people don't notice it. Maybe they do. I try not to be egotistical with a Vietnam podcast. Comedy is a bit hard. You've got to be a bit egotistical because it's all about you. But with the podcast, I always try and put the guests forward. I don't, if you look at a Vietnam podcast, you don't really find my picture many places. It's the guest picture. I promote what they do. I don't really talk about myself too much. So that's good. So I want to continue that and I want to give that platform then to other people. Awesome. That's great, man. So we can look forward to this continued great content. From seven million bikes, I thought maybe you'd cry. God, uh, I just pushed uh, a little bit, more, but we, we, I was we, prepared. We got a time constraint, so. But this, this was the, also sorry. This is the start of it. So, JK actually suggested this to me a while ago, and I can't. And I remember I, I turned you down immediately because I was like, I don't. And again, because of that thing, I didn't want to be the focus of the podcast. I remember being like, No, I don't want it to be about me. You know, I, I always want it to be about the guests. You know. And I've always been like that since the beginning. It's all about the guest. But then as this, going through this and then coming up to the new season and then we're coming up to the birthday as well, which is May 19th. I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I then said to GK a few weeks ago, I was like, I'd love it if you interviewed me and we're going to put it out on the on the birthday episode. So it's pretty cool, full circle, like three years. We're still friends. We still, well, we, I mean, we were never friends before. And this is the other thing about, not because we weren't friends, we just didn't know each other. That's the other great thing about the podcast. Nearly every guest is either a friend or someone I can message and talk to, a, kind of 80 connections that I would never have had with people. Well, 79, because I was on twice. There you go, yeah, 79. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's been amazing. And so that's why when you, I said let's do a special birthday episode that you're the host, and then that's a nice transition into the next season is going to be all new hosts. Cheers, man. Well, it's an honor. Thank you for asking me, man. Cheers. And and congratulations. And 80 episodes in the bag. Yeah. Eight yeah. seasons. And I look forward to, to hearing who's going to be coming next. And and yeah, cheers. Thanks for inviting me on. And, and yeah, I think that's going to be it. Awesome. Thank you very much. This has been amazing. And it's also gone full circle as well because Biscuit never joins me for podcasts anymore. This is, this is Biscuit. Biscuit was, was, was introduced to me at a very young age. Neil was like, Hey, you got to be my dog. I don't want my dog to be racist. <laughs> I can't. I got to make sure my dog knows some black people because uh, this is terrible. I need to sound like South African or something like that. And then, and, and uh, Biscuit and I have been getting along ever since. Yeah. I hate when you tell that story. I really hate it because it makes me sound so bad. And it's like kind of <laughs> true. It is kind of true, but it's not. What I said was dogs have to socialize, they have to meet people with beards with hats, big people, black people, white people. They have to meet all sorts of different types of people. So I'm excited that she gets to meet you. It wasn't the reason why, but it makes me sound like an asshole when you tell it. I hate it. Whatever I say by the biscuit, I say, stay black, biscuit. <laughs> stay black, girl. All right? All right. It's been awesome. Cheers, Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this episode of a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bites. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright, who made the 7 Million Bikes music and continues to support us in every way. Also to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing. And I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else, and extra special bonus content only for you, and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.